Welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network after one of the greatest opening weekends in the history of college football. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Mine's Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan or the Graham, Aaron underscore Dugan. So much to discuss. Uh, what the hell, LSU, in a, bad, <laughs> in a bad way. What the hell, Florida, in a really good way. Yep. Georgia and Alabama. We told you guys Georgia might be underrated. So we're going to talk about Georgia's dominating performance. Of course, we've got a lot to discuss with Lane Kiffin actively choosing to play two quarterbacks and start two quarterbacks. What is going on with Kentucky's running game? We got all kinds of huge games from week two to get to uh, Blake Topmeyer from the USA Today Network covering the SEC is going to join us a little bit later on. So we've got a ton of stuff to get to on the show today. Uh, Arkansas with the big win over Cincinnati, of course. Uh, reminder, turn on all the YouTube notifications, share the show, tell somebody about the product. We have an additional show every Friday. Steven Lassen, our former coworker at Athlon Sports and I are picking every single game against the spread, which is not necessarily the smartest thing to do when you're gambling. Uh, but, but I've, cha- I've challenged Steven Lassen to a, a war against the spread. And so we do that. Make sure you tune, tune into that, of course, on the podcast feed and on the YouTube page. Uh, everywhere uh, of course you get all your podcasts and of course 440 sports youtube page so please turn all that stuff on and check out all the stuff uh, i've got a great show planned for you guys today aaron how was the vanderbilt commodores are now two and oh i'll they take are, it they're one win away from hitting the over baby one win glad well i'm glad we went that direction we both took the over right yeah i think so <laughs> yeah i mean if it's not if you can, if you can't do that it's really sad for vanderbilt i feel better about it than i did all right. Before well, there, there, was, there was news right before we started recording that Wake Forest quarterback Sam Hartman will be the starting quarterback and has been medically cleared to play, which is great news for college Perfect. football fans. It is terrible news for Vanderbilt. And I rushed to my gambling app and took Wake Forest minus the 10 before it gets adjusted to like 22. Because, it's not a bad idea. Because Sam Hartman is playing for Wake Forest, who is, of course, the top 25 team. We've got the AP poll here as well. But Wake so sometimes much- has Vanderbilt's number, by the way, even when sure. we're better than we are, or even when Vanderbilt's better than they are now, Wake sometimes has Vanderbilt's number. Yes, and Wake Forest right now with Sam Hartman is very good. Uh, without Sam Hartman, they're okay, but with Sam Hartman, they're very good. So that was, again, great news for college football, bad news for Vanderbilt. Right. So we're going to get into a lot of different stuff today, big show. But number one most important thing, Aaron, what was the most interesting thing that you saw in college football in the SEC in week number one? I hate to take the obvious, but it's hard to look away from FSU, LSU, and how that game went. Um, we knew that we knew that we knew nothing about LSU going into the season. We know that they're unpredictable. This game proved to be no different. Unpredictable, <laughs> it was. We had a friend. I was in Florida hanging out with a couple of my best friends, and we were watching college football all day. And... Um, Two of them were violently woken up to us screaming at the end of that game. And I think they thought the house was on fire, but um, it was definitely an interesting one, not only just in how the game turned out and, you know, all the stuff on the field, but on the field, but more relationship driven was um, the kind of interesting dynamic between, um, you know, with the frustration from Kayshawn Boutte a visible frustration from him about, you know, not being able to, uh, for his, the quarterback receiver connection there, which wasn't happening. Yeah. You could tell he was frustrated. I do not think that we can put that all on Daniels. There was some serious and obvious problems on the offensive line, That's uh, true. that did not just come back on, you know, what Jaden Daniels was able to do and wasn't able to do at times. This will be a good lesson for LSU in terms of, you know, what you I'm not I wouldn't say they gave gave up, but it's you ha, you have a lot of making up to do when something like when you only have a minute on the clock and you got 99 yards to go and I'm not saying that they had, you know, I'm not saying they gave up throughout the game and just let it slide, but you've got to be able to finish those close games and then uh that blocked that oh, brutal. That blocked extra point was I, something different. I have so like I have so much to say. I agree with most of what you said. I think Daniels just lacks the ability to go through his reads and his progressions, and that was clearly frustrating the receivers. I do not give a shit, and don't mention who does or does not have LSU logos on their Instagram accounts. I don't care. That has got to be the worst job in the history of the world. Working at a like working at a football 
an SEC program and you've got four, you got 120 kids, you've got to manage all their social media accounts and like see what they are or not saying like that has got to be the worst job in the history of mankind um, outside of like coal mining. And I, I think Daniel's made a bunch of bad plays, cannot read the defense, cannot distribute the football in rhythm. He also did not get good offensive line play. I totally agree with you there. I thought a couple, couple, of, couple of weird observations. I don't know about what you think. Number one, and I tweeted it right before they made the decision, but they've got to go for two. Like you have been trail when you are a football team that's been trailing for most of the game. Yeah. It, it, to give yourself a 50 50 chance to win the game with the ball in your quarterback's hands, especially a guy who can run around a lot and, and had been and just came off the two best drives of his game, I feel like you have to go for two. You have, like, it was to me, it was a no brainer. It's got to be less than a 50-50 chance to win if you go to overtime because then there's a coin toss and the two-point conversions and the, you know, you start on the 25. Like, there's so many other variables. That was their chance to win it, and instead they lost it. So, Mine I don't know. Mine it's 20-20 on, I mean. Go for you know, two or no? I think you, I think you have to. I, I, I would if I was making the call and and if it had worked out, it would have been the perfect decision. It's hindsight's 2020, you know? I'm, um, I mean, I, I'm you're with agreeing. You. I'm, no, I agree with you. The other yeah. one is the, the lack of apparent communication between Brian Kelly and all the other humans in the LSU program during the game. Like every time now, to be fair, this is how Brian Kelly coaches. He has always in game allowed his assistants to do the jobs like in the huddles. Right. But mm-hmm. every single time they cut to him on T on national TV. And I know it's because it was like the only game going maybe, but like they cut to him and he would just be like, silent with his mouth closed like looking into space like he's not talking what do you to anybody expect? he's not talking to anybody on the headset he's not talking to his players he's not talking to assistant coaches like i know that that could be misconstrued based on how often they're cutting to him right but you have a coach tell everybody you you've broadcast games like you have a coach cam that is on the coach and as soon as the coach does something inter- interesting you take that camera right yeah they took the camera every time and every time he was standing there saying nothing to nobody well i think that was probably part of the story that broadcast team realized quickly maybe it was entertaining or it was so not entertaining that it was entertaining um it use is int- words use words during a I game mean, you didn't even see like one of these where he's trying to talk to the guys in the booth <laughs> right. he was just like he just was moving the microphone up and down the whole time and like and then crossing his arms and uncrossing his arms and then is that typical i'm trying to remember if i it is, it a is kind of for him. He likes to he's a hands off in game coach. There's no question about that. So it's not crazy. It just it just looked very odd that it didn't look because then you had all the other stuff that happened in the game. Muffed right. punts, penalties, the offensive line. You're not even trying to run the football like all the other mistakes that happened. You got your star receiver who's, you know, pouting like you got all these things that are going wrong. And like Brian Kelly's just like. Just like staring into space. And so it just it just it just looks odd. That's all. I'm not it saying it's like a problem. It just looks odd. It looked odd to me. I don't know. It does, it does look like it lacks passion, doesn't it? So I don't know where they go from here. Like I think I think Garrett Nussmeyer might be a better answer, but I don't want to jump to conclusions. It's week one. Florida State is better than people think. You got to give them credit for that. And LSU was down their top two defensive linemen for most of that game. Losing Mason Smith is going to be a, a, just an enormous blow for a team that didn't have margin for error. So that's a big one there. Uh, but like run the football guys like you, this is LSU you should have dudes in the backfield and dudes on the offensive line and they didn't even try to run the football so I was confused about that I mean I'm sure there I'm sure there is a reason I do not know it at least when they got to the later in the game and they were you know trying different things like going for two like why are why were they not trying to get the ball going on the ground I don't know because it wasn't working in the air so I don't understand that coaching call but it is yeah. what it is the most interesting anything else on LSU you want to add I mean, I mean they got to play they're going to play uh S- southern this weekend and they're going to get all their they're going to lick their wounds and get a w but I will say that watching Jaden Daniels going forward I know it was not the most impressive showing this last week but he is able to he is athletic he is able to kind of extend plays and do think get things done on his feet or at least, you know, try to. And I think with a little bit more time with that offensive line, they did have some serious holes and they have a lot of new guys up there. So maybe after a few weeks of that offensive line gelling a little bit, it would give um, Daniels a little bit more of a chance, we'll see. but probably gonna have to be patient. We'll see we'll if he see. even stays in that spot. 
Uh, the most interesting thing that I saw in the SEC in week number one was Anthony Richardson's mastery of what appears to be an incredibly complex and nuanced offense for the Florida Gators pre-snap on the roll, you know, reading defenses, pre-snap shifting all kinds of stuff that like just incredible management of what is already in just one game and his second start. One of the most impressive things I've seen so far in college football in a very short period of time, because they were doing all kinds of crazy shit. They're moving guys all over the place. They're shifting. There's there's motion. They're rolling him out. They're asking him to throw on the run on the run. They're asking him to 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 read defensive ends in his own read scheme. And all he did was make plays the entire game with like no expression on his face whatsoever. And every time Utah now there's bigger questions for Florida because Utah pounded the football on them. 230 yards, six yards of carry. Like, I'm concerned about Florida's front seven. But every time they needed an answer, Anthony Richardson gave it to him. This is the guy we've talked about all offseason, could be the most dynamic and interesting player in the league. We saw that against Utah. Huge W for Billy Napier in week number one. Yeah, and it was... This looked... He looked like so much more of a veteran than he really has had time to become. Just with the way, like you said, he's able to extend plays. You can tell that he, you know, obviously they have a playbook and they have a, you know, a scheme that, or they're a plan that they're trying to go with. But you can, much like a very seasoned veteran, you could tell that they trust him to make decisions on the fly. Um, if something isn't working, he's ta- he's like making a read on the field and and taking the next best option. It's extremely impressive to me. And we, you and I, have both talked about. The fact that we thought that Billy Napier, if he is who we thought he was and what he's a, we thought he'd be able to put Florida back together faster than a lot of people had hopes that he'd be able to. And I think this, uh, the demonstration on Saturday tells us exactly that. And I ha- I'm sure that a lot of it not only has to do with the talent on the field, like we saw with Anthony Richardson, but also just the cultural rewrite that's happened at Florida, which is you can tell when you're in it, everything trickles down from the top. So when you're playing for someone like Mullen, you go out there with like sometimes a chip on your shoulder when you don't even really deserve one You kind (laughs) of have like an ego, like the feeling under Mullen is entitled and the feeling under this team at the end of the game, especially when you, um, I forgot who did the interview. I'm blanking. I don't know if it was Molly McGrath. I think she was at the Georgia game, but, um, he was Anthony Richardson was asked a question about like, you know, what's different about this team than the last team. And he said like, this is more of a family. Like we lean on each other. They seemed very grateful, like very gratitude was the overall feeling that I got from that interview, not expectation, not like, you know, we're the best, you know, bring, bring on Alabama or something stupid. It was like, we're just grateful that this team's working and like we can lean on each other. And this is more of a family. And I think it showed in their play. And, and the nerdy clock management at the end of the game, actually by both sides, I thought Utah did a great job of this as well. Like that is a nerdy clock management, like dream come true to watch those two coaches manipulating the game, the clock, their teams, the amount of time and the lead and the field position all into one thing. And people on Twitter are like, what are you doing, Billy Napier? Why are you running down the clock? And I'm like, because it takes Utah forever to get down the field running the football it they were down to the fourth down. They needed to get a stop afterward, no matter what, whether they got it or not. It was the right thing to do, and it was a savvy analytical thing to do, which is what Billy Napier is all about. So, just easily the best football game of the weekend in any conference that I saw. Florida and Utah, two very well coached teams, physicality, heavyweight, back and forth, drama. And what makes the Kentucky-Florida game so interesting is because Kentucky struggled so bad to run the football, 1.9 yards per carry last week, even though they won easily and Will Levis threw for over 300 yards. Florida, as we mentioned, dominated on the ground. We now have a Florida team that's ranked 12th in the AP poll, now ahead of Kentucky, now favored by four and a half points at home. We'll talk Tennessee Pitt in a second. We got a lot of other big games, Texas and Alabama. We got to talk about Georgia's defense, but like this Kentucky-Florida game is huge. And now it looks like we've got the weakness of Florida's defensive front against, well, can Kentucky run the football? So all that great stuff we saw from Florida, I've got to see it translate this week against Kentucky at home. Yeah, and it, it's not like, like you said, like Will Levis has still had a great game. He had 300 and over 300 yards. So he did have an interception, but it was like 20 or 21 of 32. So good game for them. But I, I, what we saw out of Florida this past weekend is definitely means Kentucky's going to have to step their game up a little bit because mm-hmm. 
Florida, I think with the way that they're playing, especially Anthony Richardson playing the way that he's playing is going to expose, you know, maybe some weaknesses that Kentucky was hoping wouldn't be exposed until a little bit later in the season. Um, And then as for weapons, do we, is it confirmed that Kentucky's getting their people back? Well, I believe Rodriguez is still out um, for sure. And I think Wright as well. So I don't know about some of the rest of them, but I, it, it, we'll, we'll see as the season goes or as the week goes along again, we're recording this on, on Tuesday afternoon, it goes up on Wednesday morning, check back on our Friday episode. You might, we might have some more information for you on that one, but e- either way, this to me is about the two quarterbacks. It's about Levis versus Richardson, the swamp. Historically, this has been a place that, that Florida has dominated, but Kentucky has a chance to win two in a row. So like, it's just, it, it is all the reason, like, this is what's so great about an early season matchup because we just, we think we learned a whole lot about Florida. But now they got to come right back and play this tough game. I I was very high on Kentucky. Like I I thought, hey, Kentucky's going to be excellent, and they lost some guys. That's not an excuse. But if they go down there and lose, all of a sudden it looks very different for the out the outlook for both teams look very different. And we're going to talk about Tennessee and Pittsburgh in a second. But Tennessee hosting Florida in a couple of weeks, that game feels a lot different <laughs> today than it did a couple of days ago. We're going to learn a lot about the entire like SEC East, and then like between this coming week and the week following that. I mean, yep. we're going to know a lot about, we obviously already know who's sitting at the very, very top of the SEC East, but everything, you know, besides kind of South Carolina, Kentucky, and maybe Missouri has been sort of jumbled. We don't really know what's going on. And so these next two weeks will be very telling. Am I allowed to take a victory lap? Can we take a victory lap on the Georgia Bulldogs? Like, is that, is, because they are now Ooh, number two. fair. They're number two in the AP poll. They had four first place votes last week. Now they have 17. We told you they were underrated. They went out and dropped a hammer on Oregon, 49 to three, and just completely dominated in every way. Just rolled out a bunch of new five-star players on defense. Malachi Starks making plays. And Stetson Bennett has the best game of his entire career. Like, I just, we try, I, I think we can do a victory. Can we take a victory lap on this one? Like, I think, th- I think that's fair. Georgia underrated coming into the season see what i mean they're fucking awesome they're gonna destroy people no one's they're not even gonna break a sweat until they get to florida at the end of october they are going to crush people and look good doing it what are we what do we try to tell y'all victory lap taken i feel better it's you know you had the conversations earlier you know leading into the year about how much you know how what weapons and how many people georgia was losing defensively and then you see that game on Saturday and you're like, oh, they're, they're good. And we knew, we knew that, but also just Stetson Bennett. I mean, I continue to be more and more impressed by him every single time. I mean, the guy can had was extending plays like well beyond what, like how long those plays should have lived out. It was yes. pretty freaking fun to watch and literally embarrassed the PAC 12 in terms of relevance. Yeah, yeah. It was not. It was not pretty for the West Coast. So Georgia, I'm gonna try to do this quickly here. Uh, okay. Eleven uh, Stetson Bennett had a le- they were 11.9 yards per pass attempt in that game against Oregon, which is top ten. And 11.9 will be huge just in a second. Just just bear with me here. They were sixth in the nation last year in passing the football as a team. That's mostly Stetson Bennett. 9.3 yards per attempt. Again, 11.9 against Auburn. That was sixth in the nation. That the following year. You've got to go down to 30th in the nation, 8.2 yards per attempt passing the football. Again, a big chunk of that was Stetson Bennett. Then you go back to 2019 with Jake Fromm, and you've got to scroll down and scroll down and scroll down and scroll down until you get to Georgia. And at 63rd in the nation, 7.5 yards per attempt. So Georgia has gone from from efficiency passing the football standpoint from 7.5 to 8.2 to 9.3 three or whatever it was to 11.9 in just one game. I get it. But, but that, that is Todd Munkin and Stetson Bennett just keeping, just getting better. Yeah. Like, that, like why, why do we think Stetson Bennett, like, can he single-handedly beat Alabama in the national championship game? I don't know. Bryce Young is better. That's fine. But every other game they're going to play, uh, Stetson Bennett is so, so good for them. It doesn't even, I, I'm just, I don't know why we're still talking about it. I guess we should stop. <laughs> I mean, it's just because, Anyone that was still a doubter after last year, which would have been really hard to do, if you watched any of that game on Saturday, you should definitely reevaluate because the kid and 
the more pressure he has, the better he seems to play. And just Georgia's just working. I guess this is also a testament to when you have a good coaching staff with a system that's working, you're not losing an insane amount of kids in the transfer portal each year. You're like having people just, you know, stay in their place and learn from the best and then move up just kind of like gradually. This is what happens. And it's that progressive, not the LSU back and forth of being the best team in college football history to like can't even figure out their stuff on on or off the field to just progressively stats just going up like you just rambled off. And that's kind of what you get. It's almost like they became Alabama in this game and not the national championship game. Because in this game, they lost 15 players to the draft. In this game, they were playing a top 15 opponent with a quarterback and the receivers are gone and the running backs are gone and all the defensive players. Like in this game, to be this impressive without missing a single beat against a high-quality opponent and, and to be as good as you were last year, that, that is sort of when you become Alabama. It's when you can replace that, like all your you, you can replace coaches, you can replace depth, you can replace starters, you can replace all these things, and you still maintain that is the consistency of Nick Saban in Alabama that I think Georgia has now become officially. They probably were already there, but now they're like officially there. Um, and of course, Bama will play at Texas. I didn't see much of the game against Utah State, I'll I'll admit. 55 to nothing. Bryce Young ran for 100 yards. Like it probably could have been worse. That was almost a 55 to nothing game in the first half. But Bama at Texas this weekend is going to be really interesting to see against Sarkeesian. That's a 20 point spread. Um, and I believe Georgia, uh, I don't even, Georgia's got Sanford. So like Georgia, Georgia's going to have all their, their, their starters out. I do like the, t- the way they're using the tight ends. I knew it was going to be creative, but it was even more creative than I expected. So uh, Georgia is going to cruise until the Florida game. Um, Bama at least will get a challenge this week against Texas. I don't know. Do you, you think Texas step is up for the is up for the fight? I don't think really anyone's up for that fight except maybe Georgia. You know, fourteen weeks from now. Yeah, I like getting to watch 12. Bama though. Like I didn't even watch. Somebody tweeted. Somebody sent me a message like, "Hey, give me your honest opinions on Alabama. I want to know where their weaknesses are." And I was like, "Dude, I got to be honest. I didn't watch a second of the game." Uh, but a team like, like, unless it's a team that's much further progressed than Utah State, you're just not. No, no weakness for Alabama is going to be exposed playing against that team. But maybe Texas, hasn't... maybe Texas. I don't know. Maybe there's maybe. something with maybe. I mean, Bijan Robinson, Quinn Ewers, they've got a lot of athletic ability on offense. They're not particularly great on defense, which is where you might want to see somebody challenge Alabama's offensive line. I Texas is way better than Utah State, though, and it's on the road. So yeah, and you've got like kind of uh, you know mad scientists of football and sarkeesian and so i'm yeah. sure there's some creative stuff in the playbook that maybe we'll start to see if alabama has any sort of i'll call them kinks that need to be worked out not holes i don't think it's fair to say alabama has holes or missing pieces they just might have right some kinks and maybe texas with the creativity of certain parts of their playbook can expose those but i i does not seem like a threat to me there are so many great like second tier games. It's not like marquee matchups like there were last weekend. I mean, Fl- Florida, Kentucky's great. Tennessee, Pittsburgh is going to be really good. But there's so many great second tier matchups in week two. Like even Missouri at Kansas State is a really interesting game. And again, reminder: Stephen Lassen and myself picking every single game against the spread on this feed on the YouTube page. Turn on all, all the notifications that comes out on Friday morning. So make sure you check that out. Um, Arkansas beats Cincinnati fairly workmanlike. KJ Jefferson makes a bunch of plays. South Carolina kind of messes around with Georgia State. They averaged like 4.3 yards per play, and they were not particularly good at, at on offense. They could not block again the offensive line. Spencer Rattler, like they did just enough to cover the spread, but they are going to go to Arkansas this week. And I, I still think I know what Arkansas is. I think I know what South Carolina is, and I think they are what we thought they were. Is that is that the right way to put it? I expected a little bit of a better showing out of the Gamecocks against Georgia State. I think when people think of Georgia State, you definitely don't think of, you know, like a top tier program, but there is a lot of athleticism and speed on that roster. But I would have expected, and as do I think most Gamecocks fans expected a little bit more out of South Carolina. Um, It was a little bit too close for comfort, even though Rattler was able to get it done. I mean, one touchdown for two interceptions is in most cases is just not going to get it done. Um, There were to me, what looked like lots of missing pieces or just parts of the system that were not working. Otherwise it would not have been a nail biter against Georgia state for as long as it was. Yeah. And I think a lot of people thought uh, Georgia state would cover that spread. I think Steven and I both picked Georgia state last week to cover that spread, but 
again, the signs that the spread like, was what uh, like like thirteen, I think, and they 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 was a close game, and then they kind of pulled it away. But yeah, I, yeah, I think to your point, like Spencer Rattler did not look. The offensive line is still a major concern for South Carolina. Yes, that's a problem against Arkansas on the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, KJ Jefferson just sort of like did the thing you need him to do, which is just make the big play when you needed him to. He could he be a little bit more accurate? That's fine. Could they you know could they be a little bit more balanced and take some of the weight off of his shoulders? Maybe, but defensively they were pretty good. They they forced. Cincinnati to throw the football Arkansas did and Cincinnati couldn't do that I am interested I think Arkansas is I mean again it's only an eight and a half point spread this is one of those sneaky interesting games like South Carolina could start 0-1 in the conference that's not going to go over well with people that had high expectations a lot of us really like Arkansas I know you included Mm -hmm. this is this is again second tier games this is a really intriguing game definitely I I do think South Carolina is going to have a lot of a lot of problems, especially with what we just talked about is a little bit of the inconsistency on offense. And again, when I'm talking about Spencer Rattler and, you know, touchdowns versus interceptions, I'm really not blaming a lot of that on him. There were problems all around him that, you know, it always looks bad on the the star player, or the quarterback when it's not necessarily always his fault, but the, the stops that Arkansas, Sam Pittman talked about this after the game, just, you know, the stops that they were able to make that his defense was able to make against Cincinnati in some cases where, extremely impressive and pivotal to the way that that game turned out. And if Arkansas can continue to do that this week, they're going to give South Carolina's offense a lot of trouble. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. A bunch of other games like Texas A&M struggled kind of, but they also, you know, still averaged over seven and a half yards of play dominated on defense, pitched a shutout. They're going to get a better test because App State scored like 60 points on North Carolina last week. So they're going to get a better, better test this week. Tennessee's a six and a half point favorite over Pittsburgh on the road. I thought that number was interesting. It is I think, interesting. I think they're both pretty even, but home field is worth about three points. So basically, if this game was in Knoxville, they'd be saying a 10, 11 point favorite for Tennessee. That that seems like a big number. I know Tennessee can run like 100 plays in half a second, but like Pittsburgh's defensive line is legit. And we'll see if Tennessee can find that balance on the road. I think this game comes down to a field goal. So you like Pittsburgh and the points? Yes. But Tennessee to win outright? Yes. I mean, we didn't learn anything against Ball State about Tennessee. Like, they no. were fine. Um, we didn't learn anything about Mississippi State. We're going to find out a lot about them this week on the road against Arizona. That's a really good game. Late, 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 late night, 11 o'clock Eastern time kickoff out in the desert. Arizona just beat San Diego State. Mississippi State, Will Rogers, just quietly, 450 yards and five touchdowns. Don't, don't look at me, guys. Don't look at me. Yep. Just slinging it all over the place. I do love Lane Kiffin real quickly here uh, before we get to Blake Topmeyer. Mm-hmm. Lane Kiffin deciding uh, ahead of schedule. He's not the only one doing this. Jim Harbaugh's doing this too. To be like, all right, we're going to start, you know, Jackson Dart in game one and then Luke Altmeyer in game two, which is odd if you if you think about it. But then when you spend some time with it, you go, look, you got two easy games. They're going to play Central Arkansas this week. The, mm-hmm. the outcome's not really in doubt. Why not give both guys a chance to sort of lead up to the game as a starter and see how they do as the guy instead of like bringing them in and out in and out of the lineup? It's it's an interesting strategy. It's a new one. I like it. I think if you really don't, if you really don't know exactly what you're doing, this makes sense to me. I don't think it makes sense to just you know kind of delay picking a quarterback and then wasting time that you could have practicing um, in the fall, like leading up until the start of the season. But if you really don't know. One thing that we've talked about this before, it's impossible to simulate a game environment. You can blow horns of like Gamecock screeching on the practice field. You can be full out, like dressed out in pads, like full scrimmage. You cannot simulate a game environment and nerves and the volume levels of a lot of these stadiums, even though these are smaller games. To me, it makes sense to see who feels more settled. And then maybe that's who they roll at the beginning, but not necessarily that doesn't necessarily mean that they can't switch people out for certain situational things throughout you know the rest of the year yep Uh, i like that so a lot of big games on the schedule and uh, of course again we'll give you every single pick against the spread on fridays on the youtube page make sure you check that out turn on all the notifications missouri at kansas state Uh, i didn't watch a lot of that game either but missouri you know with brady cook didn't particularly throw the ball well but they ran the ball incredibly well over 300 yards rushing six touchdowns you know they have kansas state this weekend that's what I'm saying. They get Louisiana Tech. Oh, okay. Sorry, sorry. Did I say yeah, Louisiana yeah. Tech? Yeah, you you, you said Kansas. Sorry. They had Kansas State, but they have Kansas State this coming week. I know what you meant. 
they played Louisiana Tech. Old Big 12 rivalries, you know, I don't even know what conference they're in now. No, right. Missouri plus eight and a half on the road against Kansas State. I think they're overmatched here in this one. Uh, mm-hmm. But again, we'll have some picks against the spread for you later on. I, I think this is like an it's not a marquee weekend of action. And we just had so much in the first weekend that I think this might let people down a little bit. But we're spoiled I, for this I, past weekend for sure. Yes, because I think Bama's going to roll. But it means we've got App State, Tennessee. We've got, you know, Missouri, Kansas State, South Carolina, Arkansas, Kentucky, Florida's the gem. But again, you know, who, who knows what that's going to look like. So it, it's going to be a ton of fun. And uh, obviously playoff expansion as well. We've got that on the brain. So we're going to talk with uh, Blake Toppemeyer of the USA Today Network when we come back right here about all these things in the SEC in week one. He was at the LSU game, wrote a big column about it, but also yep. a lot about playoff expansion and what it means for the SEC. So we'll do all of that when we come back right here on the Fringe Element Podcast. Blake, welcome to the show, man. Good to have you. Lots to discuss. Week one, playoff expansion. How are you, sir? Welcome. I'm I'm doing well. Just uh, like you said, week one still coming down for from the weekend <laughs> that, that was. And uh, a, lot of, a lot of notable results in the SEC, which I know we'll probably get into. All right. Most interesting thing. For you in week one, it can be anything. It, it doesn't have to be an outcome. It doesn't have to be a team. It could be a player, anything at all. What is you leave week one, one of the best weekends of college football that we've seen in a long time, especially in the SEC. What, what is the most interesting thing to you that you walk away from week one with? I think it's Georgia. I mean, I, at the risk of a week one overreaction, like Georgia looked like they haven't lost a step at all. And I was, I was wondering about that. I don't know if I want to say I was, I was skeptical, but I, I considered it questionable that a team that lost so much star power off a national championship team, you know, pumped 15 guys out to the NFL draft, including, you know, so many of the stars off that defense. I thought, you know what, they're going to regress a little bit, right? Like they're going to take at least a small step back. And my thought was you can take a small step back on defense and still had the best defense in the SEC. Like last year's unit was historically great, but I thought they, they could still be really good. I did not expect them to not take a step back at all on defense. Now, again, maybe it's a week one snap judgment. Maybe it's an overreaction, but Georgia looked every bit as dominant as last season, if not more so. Um, and, and they, frankly, they blew me away. I figured they'd win and win big, but didn't expect it to be that overwhelming. When you look at, listen, uh, two weeks ago, our episode was why is Georgia underrated? And I just am flabbergasted that I know, yes, they were number three in the nation picked to win the East and go 12 and zero, but like, I thought they were still undervalued at nationally in, in terms of conversation and not getting enough talk and enough run. And yeah, there's, there's Malachi Starks out there making an interception, another five-star freshman for the defense. So um, I'm with you on, on Georgia it is, are you more excited and do you buy into what you saw from Florida or, or are you more concerned and in buying into what you saw with LSU? Is that one week of just drama and difficult matchups? Or do you think that's what we're going to see from the two new coaches in the SEC this year? I hate to take the easy way out, but both, frankly. You know, with, with Florida, so much of the talk is, is about Anthony Richardson. And, you know, is he a long shot Heisman contender? Will he be a Heisman finalist? I, I get it. He, he looked uh, fantastic in, in Utah. But I think what against Utah. But I think what gets overlooked by that is the physicality with which Florida played during stretches of that game. I did not expect that. I I thought they really uh, established the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball during some important stretches of that game. Now, yes, uh, I have concerns, as do many others, about, about Florida's depth, particularly on defense. But didn't expect Florida to, to play that physical. You know, I wasn't necessarily surprised that Anthony Richardson impressed us. We know he's a talented player. The thing with him is uh, he's got to stay healthy, but yeah. that physical presence didn't expect that from Florida from LSU boy, they have a lot of warts and I, and I didn't expect it to look that ugly. I thought, you know, even in year one, Brian Kelly's going to have an impact here. Offensive line, huge problem, which has been a problem for the past two seasons. Of course, we know the, the woes on special teams there that had a direct hand in, in that loss and, and couldn't get off the field on third down. I mean, you know, I know the old adage is, well, you'll improve from week one to week two, but I'm sorry at this point, like the LSU offensive line is a lasting concern. It's been a bugaboo the past two seasons, and I didn't see any improvement uh, in the season opener. So, yeah, I mean, I think 
in both cases, week one might be a, a taste of, of what we're going to see from those two programs. Who, who do we learn the most about in week two? Tennessee's a touchdown favorite on the road against the Pittsburgh team that did win, not necessarily impressively, but did win. You know, South Carolina played around a little bit with Georgia State. A lot of people like the Georgia State plus the 13 last week. Arkansas kind of does what Arkansas does to, to good teams. They got to play this week. They're an eight and a half point favorite. You got Kentucky, uh, of course, with with Florida. That's a huge game in the East. And then Missouri, actually, with a really tricky road trip to Kansas State. What, what do we think we learned the most about in the East in week two? I think Kentucky, you know, I mean, Kentucky was a team getting a lot of praise in the preseason and, and frankly, Mark Stoops, I thought kind of welcomed it. You know, he, he stepped out there on a ledge a, a little bit, whether it be, you know, firing back at, at John Calipari on, on Twitter, or, you know, was that, or was that not a veiled shot at, at Shane Beamer? Like, um, you know, I think now it's time to go back it up, right? Like if you're going to say, whoa, hold on a second. Kentucky's not a basketball school anymore. Like our football program's doing some things too. Like you got to go out and beat somebody. And and look, I give Mark Stoops a lot of credit. He's, he's the best Kentucky coach since Bear Bryant. Um, part of that is there's not a lot of competition, frankly, but he, <laughs> he's done a nice job there. Right. Uh, but let's call it what it is. Like Kentucky plays one of the softest schedules uh, in the SEC year in, year out. It's just the truth. These are the type of games Kentucky needs to win with more consistency. I think if it's going to be taken even more seriously in the SEC and as like that number two team in, in the SEC East, you want to be considered the number two yeah, team in the yeah. East behind Georgia, you got to beat Florida. I know Florida looked good in week one. I know it's a, a night game at the Swamp. That's tough. But you, you want to put yourself out there. Um, and say, hey, we're, we're to be taken seriously. This is a game Kentucky has to win. What's going to be interesting is, is Kentucky going to have to do it through the passing game? That, that's what's what, yeah. what fascinates me about this Kentucky team is like, is this not going to be your prototypical Mark Stoops team where it's like run the ball, run the ball, run the ball? You know, maybe maybe Will Levis shows he's, he's the real deal. I, I kind of have a same, it's it's kind of a cop-out question to ask the same thing of the West because I think the pecking order is the most interesting thing in this league because after Bama and Georgia and then sort of after Vanderbilt at the bottom, maybe Missouri in that group as well. We've kind of said all offseason, like, you know, three through 12 is all kind of about the same. And on any given Saturday, they can probably beat each other. I, I you know, I think we saw some stuff from Arkansas last week. KJ Jefferson stepped in and made some big plays. I don't know what we learned about Mississippi State. Certainly people coming out of the A&M game thinking, oh, maybe they're not as good. Like, again, I think that's weather and Sam Houston State and the first opener. Do you, do you feel like you learned anything again, Ole Miss and struggled? Maybe I don't like, it's hard to even, what did we learn about the the West last year, last week? And do you have a pecking order? Like how much did you change your pecking order after Bama in the West? I probably slid LSU down some because I was, I was high on, on LSU's ability to kind of make a splashy debut under was, Brian Kelly. And, and obviously <laughs> I, I don't believe that, but I was pounding the drum as, as fiercely as anyone in the preseason for Arkansas. I, I thought Arkansas was, was a, a true dark horse in, in the SEC. I, I had them to finish second in, in the West. Uh, I know a lot of people had A&M penciled in okay. that spot, and, and I didn't see anything in week one that dissuaded me from, from that belief. I, I think uh, K.J. Jefferson continues to be one of the most underrated quarterbacks in this conference. I would put Will Rogers um, in, in there in that list. I mean, for all the talk of like, you know, Heisman, dark horses, long shot Heisman guys, like Will Rogers went out and threw for 450 yards, a career <laughs> high 450 yards against Memphis in the opener. And nobody's talking about him, perhaps because that game finished at like, what was it like 2 a.m. in the morning yeah, or something yeah. <laughs> after, the, after the weather delays. But no, I mean, I think Arkansas has an opportunity against South Carolina this week to, to continue to show um, they are among the top dogs in, in the SEC West. And then, you know, then it really gets real in a couple of weeks against AM. But I said in the preseason that if there's a team that can beat Alabama in the regular season, I think Arkansas is the most dangerous. Yep. They, they gave him trouble last year. KJ Jefferson had one of his best games of the year. Uh, you know, Arkansas can score. Not saying it's going to happen, but that game falls the week before AM in Tuscaloosa. It's on the road at Fayetteville. I think that could be a dangerous game. Uh, for Alabama. And I think we'll continue to learn more about Arkansas this week against South Carolina. 
Yeah, the the only other one I like where Bama might be challenged is the week after the A and M game because it sounds like you you and I both agree that A and M is not the game they're challenged in. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one was decided when Jimbo called the press conference, but they they go to Knoxville the following week, and again coming off the emotional high of destroying A and M, what you know, whatever. That's I think that's a similar situation, but I don't know what Tennessee is going to be at that point, so I don't know if that's a concern for Bama or not. We'll learn a lot about them against Pittsburgh, but I want to ask you more of a bigger picture question, like in terms of sustainability, like I think we all agree that Josh Heupel is a master communicator. He's done a great job winning over the team in the locker room, and he's sort of reestablished like an adult maturity to the program that was desperately lacking. But recruiting is sort of now part of the NIL outsourced spry sports world. And and frankly, a, an offensive play every 12 seconds, I don't know how many tough, brutal, physical SEC games you can win with that style. Does he Is he going to have to evolve at all if they want to reach that eight and four mark, that nine and three mark this year, or do you think they can do it doing what they did against ball state? I think they can do it with this style. And I think there's a track record within the sec for being able to do it with this style. You look at what Ole Miss did last year. I mean, Ole Miss and Josh Heupel, you know, Lane Kiffin and Josh Heupel ran remarkably similar offenses last season. And Ole Miss just did it a little bit better. I thought Ole Miss had a better defense than Tennessee did last year. And, and, you know, you look when all said and done, Ole Miss had 10 wins and they're in the, the, the Sugar Bowl. So I think it can be done doing that. I mean, can you make a four-team college football playoff doing that? <laughs> probably not. I mean, within a few years, it's probably a boot point, right? And we're, we're in the right, 12-team right. playoff era. So I don't know if you can win the SEC um, without being a little more balanced and having a, a better defense. Uh, but in terms of, of playing this style of football, uh, playing the tempo, you know, it, it, the thing that people, and I know you know this, but I, I think a, the thing that people, a lot of people forget about Tennessee is this is a balanced offense. Like when you think like, oh, Josh Heupel, former star quarterback and, and the tempo, like they're slinging it all over the yard. Like, yes, Hinton Hooker is really good, but that run game for Tennessee so often gets overlooked. And if you look at Josh Heupel everywhere he's been, uh, he's had good running games. And in that tempo run game, gives defenses problems. I think it's going to give pit problems uh, this week. So because they have that balance on offense, uh, yes, I, I think it is sustainable at a high level. Ideally, of course, they have to get better on defense. And, and I would say, you know, if they want to take that step up to where Ole Miss was last year of winning 10 games, making the Sugar Bowl, you can do it with this style, but you still have to get a little bit better on, on defense. That Ole Miss defense last year really made, made some strides and allowed them to to stay in enough games to where they could get to the Sugar Bowl. Yeah, now all those people are gone. You know, players are in the NFL, coordinators in college station. Like, they're all all gone there from uh, Oxford. Excuse me. Um, All right, you you mentioned the playoff and expansion. Certainly, this was Greg Sankey's plan all along. Um, You know, everyone else is playing checkers. He's playing like (laughs) – excuse me. I'm going to have to edit this out. Um, (laughs) I'm so verklempt by how well Greg Sankey has manipulated the press and all of his cohorts in the – in the grand scheme of things, um, the, the expanded playoff, like I, I don't really know what the impact is other than more teams can get in for the SEC, more money for the SEC. I guess my first question would be, do you think this does actually take place? Does money drive this to 2024 with Texas and Oklahoma coming earlier? I mean, that's always kind of been what I thought would happen. So I, I'd, let, I'd be interested to get your opinion on that. But then what is the thing? Like, is this that SEC fans need to know about expansion? Is it just like con- the Kentuckys and the Ole Misses of the world now have a really real opportunity to get into a playoff? Is that is that all it is? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when Texas and Oklahoma come in, when the playoff happens, it, it's, it's probably a um, little more than guesswork at this point. I guess to, to wager an educated guess, I, I think I would say Texas and Oklahoma come in a year earlier than what's being discussed, 2024. Um, and maybe you can get the playoff in place that, that quickly. I don't know. I think... If only one of the two happen, I guess I would side with better chance of Texas and Oklahoma coming in early. Um, I think if the playoff happens early, I think Texas and Oklahoma are certainly in the SEC early. But in terms of what this means, I'll, I'll give you two things. Of course, the, the easy pickings is, yes, this, this puts teams like Arkansas, um, Kentucky, Florida, Tennessee in playoff contention. You know, you look at all the programs in the SEC that haven't made the playoff in a four-team era. There's some big names in there, Texas A&M, Auburn, Florida. 
Uh, LSU's just made it the, the one time. So this is going to add a lot more programs in the playoff mix. If you're an Arkansas fan today uh, and there's a 12-team playoff, you're saying, hey, I think maybe we got a playoff team on our hands. But the one thing people aren't really talking about, uh, and I pointed this out in a column recently, that I think could be kind of a, a, a sneaky change is the only way you can get a first round buy is if you win your conference championship. So if we apply the 12 team playoff format to last season, Georgia would have been a five seed having yeah. lost the SEC championship game. Alabama would have been the one and that would have altered who would have played in the national championship because the committee has said it will not reseed. It's like the NCAA tournament. You know, you seed it, you put everybody in a bracket and there's no reseeding. You, you go forward. So Georgia and Alabama, if the seeds would have played out, would have met in the semifinals last year and not the national championship. So I think that's one thing that's kind of flying under the radar that will change with this 12-team format. I don't know that it's going to dial back the, the SEC's uh, dominance of, of the sport or place in the sport or how many national championships the SEC is able to win in like a five or 10-year span. What I do think it's going to be harder to do, though, is to get SEC versus SEC in the national championship like we had in the 2017 season and last season, uh, because you're only going to have one team from the SEC that is able to get a bye. And I think in a lot of years, you're going to see a fifth seeded SEC team have to play a number one seeded SEC team in the yep. semifinal. In some ways, the semifinal may become the national championship. Game. <laughs> 2011 as well, of course, that's the one that led to the playoff. And, and this is what's leading to playoff expansion is more SEC on SEC crime. Uh, in the national championship. It's funny, the outrage scale I have on, on all the, the different things with the playoff, like not reseeding is like, a, like pretty low on my outrage scale, but I wish they'd reseed like the, like, uh, you know, like the NFL does. Uh, number two is that you could have a team ranked 15th and they end up jumping Georgia and they end up being in the top four because they happen to win like the PAC 12 championship. And they happen to be geographically located in a region that was easier to win. Like that's obviously a little higher on the outrage scale, but, but, but it's not even close. And I've said this sort of like tongue in cheek to Bill Hancock to his face before, like the fact that we're going to have seven of the 11 games played at like neutral site parking lots is just the worst part of this entire thing. And it makes me so angry. I don't even have a question for you, Blake. I'm just venting about how angry I am that we are outsourcing the best part of our game, college campuses and communities and showcasing those venues to like their golfing buddies who run like the Shreve, like humanitarian bowl in Shreveport or whatever. Like I, I just, and uh, now I'm just, now I'm just in therapy here. Well, I, I mean, I completely agree with you. I guess I, I take more maybe the silver. I, I don't often take the silver lining view of things, but in, in this case, maybe I am because I think like, well, at least the first round games are, are going to be on campus sites. And I, I can't remember which <laughs> athletic director uh, it was. It may have been Scott Strickland at, at Florida said, you were going to have teams able to host what could be the biggest game on campus in those programs history. And I think that's true when you, when you factor in the playoff stakes um, now having first round playoff games on campus, but I'm with you, like take that, take that into the quarterfinals. E even if you have to go neutral site for semifinals championship. Okay. But man, I would, I would love to see uh, the quarterfinals at the very least continue to be played um, on, on campus sites. Like those, those round one games would be. And the other thing is like, you know, we always talk about preserving value for the regular season. I think to some degree, the first round buys do that, but I think you would heighten it even more if you know that, like, if you get a top four seed, not only is a buy on the line, but being able to host a quarterfinal oh, yeah. game is on the line. And to your point, is that fair that like a 15th ranked team could win a conference championship and get a buy and, and be seated fourth and host? It's probably not fair, but when has college football been fair, right? Like, I do think it adds some some incentive to, to be among those top four teams. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, uh, you, you can vent all you want to me because I, I completely agree. <laughs> as many playoff games as, as can be played on campus as possible, uh, do it because that's it's great for the sport. Well, and I say this as a Nashvilleian where I know for a fact that the Music City Bowl is going to be one of the playoff games when the new Titan Stadium opens and they have a roof it's going to absolutely be one of the semifinals or finals. Like it's going to get into the rotation awfully quickly. The Super Bowl's coming here. Final four is going to come here, all that stuff. So like selfishly, I'm probably going to get one of those big playoff games in my own backyard that I can go, you know, just drive down the street and take my kids to. 
But like if I'm Ole Miss, if I'm Kentucky, if I'm Tennessee, like this year, uh, you already mentioned Arkansas. We think Kentucky and Tennessee are going to be solid. Like we like A&M. We like Mississippi State. We like, you know, there's eight teams. Florida now is in this mix. There's eight teams that could sneak up on 10 and two. And if they sneak into 10 and two, then you're talking about a team in a playoff game, maybe hosting a playoff game. And what what <laughs> and what that would mean for those celebrating those campuses and those communities and those teams would just it would be extraordinary. And instead, they're going to go to a corporate stale parking lot in El Paso, you know. So Well, and, and my final thought on this, you know, I, I was I think I covered like, I don't know, 1620 uh, college football games last year was fortunate enough to do that. And I had some folks ask me at the end of the season, like what you know, you covered the, the semifinal with Alabama uh, Cincinnati, you covered the national championship game in Indianapolis. Like what, what was the coolest game you covered? And, and of course, you know, I don't really care who wins and loses and all, and all that stuff. I like environments. I, I like cool venue Remember things that I remember being in the stadium. And so if you ask like, what were the two coolest games I covered last year, wouldn't have been the national championship. I was fortunate enough to be in college station when they upset oh, uh, Alabama. So, so awesome. that obviously was, was such a, a memorable scene. And Lane Lane Kiffin? Uh, was it Lane Kiffin in the it, mustard bottle? It, it was not. I was actually on the on the road that week. I live in Knoxville, as you know. And and strangely, I guess this is just a bad call on my part. I went to LSU for the Fire Ed O game <laughs> against Florida. I like I thought Florida was going to win, and that was that was all right, she right, wrote right. for Ed. I was there to kind of write the obituary of of Ed's coaching tenure, and it was strange because LSU wins and yet yeah, fires man. Ed anyway. Uh, but the other one was uh, Alabama at Florida. And of course, oh, yeah. yeah, Florida spiraled after that. But like, we didn't know that in that moment. Great game. The swamp was was rocking. And when the swamp's rocking, yeah. you know, there are a few places better to be. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's just further to your point. You know, you get these neutral site games and and frankly, they can be a little a little stale oh. played in venues where that 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 aren't accustomed to, to college football. Um, you know, I mean, no, nothing beats college football uh, on a campus that is just cranked up, you know, for, for the, for the entire week for the, for that game. Well, uh, I, I feel better uh, about myself, frankly, for having talked to you. So I appreciate you being my, my therapist here. You can follow him of course, at B Topmeyer on Twitter. You can check him out all over, uh, the USA today network covering all things sec, uh, routinely all over the fine bomb show as well. So Blake, thank you so much, man. We do appreciate it and uh, enjoy week two, my man. Thank you, buddy. Okay. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. That was Blake Topmeyer from the USA Today Network. Follow him on Twitter at BTopmeyer. You can get all kinds of great work, stuff from him covering all kinds of SEC games. Uh, and, uh, yeah, Aaron, I'm very upset that they're going to play seven out of 11 playoff games at neutral sites. I think that's the dumbest shit I've ever heard in the it's, history of the playoff. It's not good for college football. It's not good for college towns. I'm not a fan of it. No, no. Um, hey, Vandy, all right, best of luck against Wake Forest. Aaron, where can people find you? The 2-0 Vanderbilt Commodores, where can people find you, man? Praise God. Um, the Aaron Dugan <laughs> on Twitter and Aaron underscore Dugan on the gram. What about you? You can get to me at Braden Gall on Twitter at 440 Sports as well. Please subscribe to the YouTube page. It's almost all college football all the time. So go check it out. SEC football every single day, all year long, almost every episode. So go check it out. The YouTube page there as well. We do appreciate everybody hanging out with us. Rate, review, subscribe, share the show. We'll be back on Friday with our picks against the spread for week number two. And then we're back at it again next week. For Aaron, I'm Braden. Thanks for hanging out with us. This has been the Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. Later.